You are listening to Freedom Church STL. If you would like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit freedomchurchstl.com. Thank you for listening and enjoy this message. So I'm going to take you today through Genesis, the end of Genesis, and the very beginning of Exodus. Kind of that space between Genesis and Exodus. So I want you to go ahead. I want you to turn to Genesis chapter 50. We're going all the way to the end. The question we're going to ask today ourselves is, how do we fall back into being a slave to sin while we are walking out being a slave to righteousness? Like as a believer, we are a slave to righteousness. I think I've heard your pastor say that seven million times, right? Corey's like, yeah, seven million and one. Um, to be a slave to righteousness. But we've all had those moments where we're walking things out and then we just make some really dumb decisions. Anybody else agree? Anybody been there? Been there, done that? Yes, wrote the book. So today we're going to use this scripture and I'm going to lay it out. How does that happen? You see so many times, I mean, there are people, when you hear of a pastor who, you know, has fallen and has made some bad choices and made some mistakes, oh, we are so quick to judge, are we not? Like, how could they do such a thing? I grew up in the um, Jimmy Swaggart era, right, where he, you know, fell, well, you know, in the church world. It was like, ooh, he fell hard. Like, is there really a falling hard? Like, or is there just a falling? Like, I think if you sin, it's sin, Right? But I went through that whole thing and him coming on. I remember sitting at the TV and and watching Jimmy Swaggart, you know, beg for forgiveness. And I'm so sorry. I have failed. I have failed. And we watched that whole thing. And in my mind, I'm thinking, how, why, what, what was he thinking? Right? And we all ask that question. How does that happen? How did that happen? How did he go from being a slave to righteousness to all of a sudden wrapped up in being a slave to sin. So we're going to read this story in Genesis chapter 50. And I'll tell you what, I really recommend you going through. I, there's so many things, and, and Ryan and Megan and Chris all tease me because there's certain things that I've read my whole life. And then sometimes you go back and you read it and you're like, what? I didn't know that was in there. So Ryan and them tease me because... I got the Tony Evans Bible, and I, I love this. If you do not have a Bible, I highly recommend the Tony Evans Bible. It is, it's phenomenal. It has all of his notes in it. It's, it's beautiful. Um, and I remember I was reading about mm-hmm, when they parted the Red Sea, and I'm saying this just for Ryan because he, he loves it when I say this. And when he parted the Red Sea, and I always in my head as a kid, you think it's like a group of us, right? Like a group of us going through the Red Sea, like, oh, let's all walk through the Red Sea. Like, oh, there's like, you know, a few of us here, we're fine. No. As I'm reading it, I start reading, and then I'm reading the notes, and then I'm reading again, and I just keep going. I'm like, wait a minute. Do you know how many people cross the Red Sea? Two million. That's literally, right? I seriously, I was sitting at it, was I not? They said it had to be because they only counted the men or whatever. And so with the children and the women, they said it could, be a, could have been approximately 2 million people. See them nodding their heads? They're so used to the story, right? Like, it blew my mind. I'm like, wait 
million people crossing the Red Sea? Is that not insane? I know. Anyway, I get really excited about little things like that. But I know. At the end of Genesis, you have the whole story. And I was explaining it to Kai last night, and we were talking it out. Poor Kai. Dad's not home, so Mom runs all of her notes through Kai. And he just had to sit and listen. Because if he would have walked away, I would have punched him. But that's okay. He, he knew better. Um, but I'm talking about it, and you have the whole thing, and there's so many things that we miss out in the book of Genesis, right? There's, that we just kind of, it's felt bored. It's what we learned in children's church. It's no big deal, whatever. But you have the story of Joseph, right? And, and Joseph gets sold by his brothers. He's sold. He ends up exactly where God wants him to be. Even through being sold and all the junk and all the stuff, he ends up being right where he, want, he needs him to be. Because in the end, because of where Joseph ends up, he actually saves his family from famine. The same people that sold him, he ends up saving their life because of the position that he is in, right? Talk about a full circle moment for Joseph. Can you imagine? Like, wait, you're, you sold me. And there's so many things in this book and then it goes through the, all the tribes of, of Israel with Jacob. And I, try, I explain to Kai, I'm like, you know, Jacob is Israel because God changed his name to Israel. And then Israel becomes the Israelites because they're all the sins of Jacob. And Kai's just nodding. And he's looking at me with his glazed look like, can I go play Xbox now? <laughs> and so, right, Jake? I'm, Jake thinks I'm hilarious today. Um, and so go through that whole thing. Well, then the other thing that blew my mind when as I'm reading through this is the fact that at the end, the tribe of Judah, right? We all know the tribe of Judah. Realizing in that moment as I'm reading and I'm connecting all of those dots, I realized that Judah was actually the brother that sold Joseph. Like that to me, all of a sudden, I've known that my whole life, but all of a sudden God opened my eyes and was like, see what I'm saying? He did something stupid. But yet I used him even though <laughs> you can do stupid things and God will still use you is really the whole point. Let's go home. No, I'm kidding. Right? But it's so cool. But at the end, as Jacob joins Joseph where he is, they build a relationship with the Egyptians that are so strong. So I want to look at chapter 50. I got to get to where I'm supposed to be here. Chapter 50. And we're going to start with uh, verse 1. It says, then Joseph, and I'm reading from the Christian, the Christian Standard Bible, if you're curious of what I'm reading from. It says, Joseph, leaning over his father's face, wept and kissed him. He commanded his servants who were physicians to embalm his father because he had just died. So they embalmed Israel. They took 40 days to complete this, for embalming takes that long. And the Egyptians mourned him for 70 days. When the days of mourning were over, Joseph said to Pharaoh's household, if I have found favor with you, please tell Pharaoh, please tell Pharaoh that my father made me take an oath saying I'm about to die. You must bury me there in the tomb that I made for myself in the land of Canaan. Now let me go and bury my father. Then I will return. And Pharaoh said, go and bury your father in keeping your oath. Then Joseph went to bury his father. Now here's the crazy part. Are you ready for this? And all of Pharaoh's servants the elders of his household and the elders of the land of Egypt went with him. What? Along with all Joseph's family, his brothers and his father's family, and only their dependents, their flocks and their herds were left in the land of Goshen. Horses and chariots went up with him. 
It was a very impressive procession. When they reached the threshing floor of Atad, which is across the Jordan, they lamented and wept loudly, and Joseph mourned seven days for his father. Now, I'm reading that, and I'm thinking, wait, what? The Egyptians mourned Israel for 70 days. That does not sound like a rough relationship, does it? That sounds like a very caring, a very loving relationship that they mourned him for 70 days. And then when they said, we need to go bury him, Pharaoh says, take all the people. Everybody just go. And it was a very impressive procession. Like, can you believe? Well, then I get to the end of that. Now I want you to look. Go to Exodus chapter 1. When it starts, the little title in my book says, Israel oppressed in Egypt. So I thought, how in the world did they go from being a part of such a loving relationship to slavery? Like, how did that happen? Now, mind you, about 300 years have passed. So that's, that's a lot of water under the bridge, right? A lot can happen that time. But still at the same time, I'm thinking, how did that happen? How did that happen? So... I start reading. I asked God this, and then I read, and I realized he answered. It says, these are the names of the son of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob. Each came with his family, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin. Ooh, Zebulun, whoa. Dan and Naphtali, Hmm. Gad and Asher. The total number of Jacob's descendants was 70. Joseph was already in Egypt. Joseph and all his brothers and all the generations eventually died, obviously. But the Israelites were fruitful, increased rapidly, multiplied, and became extremely numerous so that the land was filled with them. Verse 8. A new king who did not know about Joseph, had no idea who Joseph was, came to power in Egypt. He said to his people, look, the Israelite people are more numerous and more powerful than we are. Come, let's deal shrewdly with them. Otherwise, they will multiply further. And when war breaks out, they will join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. So the Egyptians assigned the taskmasters over the Israelites to oppress them with forced labor. They built Pithom, whatever, Ramesses as supply, I'm very phonics-based, supply cities for Pharaoh, but the more they oppressed them, the more they multiplied and spread so that the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites. They worked the Israelites ruthlessly and made their lives bitter with difficult labor in brick and mortar and in all kinds of field work. They ruthlessly imposed all of this work on them. So there it is. How... Did it go from a loving relationship to oppression? What happened was arrogance and pride. You have this new Pharaoh, 300 years later, has no idea about Joseph, has no idea who Jacob is, has no idea of of any of that past history and that past relationship. All he sees is the people in front of him that are multiplying and are more powerful than he is. And he's like, pause. Not today, right? Not today. (laughs) Right? That is literally what took place. (laughs) He realized that they were more powerful and he decided to do something. His arrogance and his pride took over. I was like, "Mm -mm, no, 
I don't like what I'm seeing, so let me go ahead and rise up and take control of the situation because I don't want anybody controlling me, right? That was his big concern. Now, what does this have to do with our walk with God? In this story, what I want you to do is I want you to see the Israelites as our relationship with God, right? That relationship with God. That's that spiritual side of our relationship with God. That's the Israelites. The Egyptians in this story are going to represent our flesh. That thing that Pastor Chris always tells us that we have got to bring under control. We cannot follow flesh. We cannot follow flesh. It will lead us to death. So today I want you to look at those two things. Just as the Egyptians forced the Israelites into slavery, our sin does the same thing, right? All of a sudden, we're trying to walk this walk with God, and all of a sudden, the flesh rises up and says, hold on a minute. No, you didn't. I want what I want. You don't get to tell me who, what, and where. I get to make the decisions here. And that flesh rises up, and takes control. And we make those decisions that we know we should not be making. Right? The Bible constantly throughout the word makes references to us being slaves to sin prior to Christ. He's constantly making those. So I want to talk about the definition of a slave. If I, if I asked everybody here, what is a slave? Everybody would be able to tell me in your own words what a slave is, right? Everybody understands it. We know what that means to be a slave to something. We understand it. But here is the actual definition. I want you to hear it. I step away so I don't have to put my glasses back on. If you're curious, why is she stepping away from Because I can't see. A person who is the legal property of another and is forced to obey him. That's a slave. Now, when you put that into the context of sin, don't you feel like, why did I do that? Have you ever done something and then look back and go, what was I thinking? I'm an idiot. I remember Crew. Yeah, I'm talking about you, buddy. When he was little, he had such a habit of lying. And it was dumb lies. It wasn't even like, I got to clean my glasses because they're dirty. And so it wasn't even like, um, like big lies. It wasn't even to cover anything up. It was like stupid lies. Like what? Why would you lie about that? Oh, no. The best one ever was it had snowed, and Chris got up and said, hey, buddy, did you take the dog out? Yeah, I took the dog out. He's like, you, you took the dog out? Yep, I took the dog out. Did the dog go both? Oh, yeah, she peed and she pooped. Yep, dog went both. She did? Yep, yep. I watched her go both. Chris just stood there for a second, and he looked at me and said, that's interesting, buddy. Did you fly over and go to the back of the backyard, and that's why I'm not seeing your, the prints? Because there are no footprints from the door to the backyard. Like, it's perfect snow, and then crew just stood there. Oh. And I'm like, why would you lie about taking? the dog out but he literally in that moment he had to have thought in that moment what was I thinking he evidently thought mom and dad were not smart people and wouldn't figure it out but 
We find ourselves doing those stupid things that we look back and go, what was I thinking, right? Why did I do that? That is because in that moment, we allowed our flesh to take control. We allowed our flesh to override what we know was right. We allowed our fresh flesh to override the commandments that we know we're supposed to be keeping. That is exactly what happens in those moments. We look back. If I asked anybody in this place what's the dumbest thing you've ever done, you would be able to tell me without even hesitating. And the only way you would hesitate is if you were trying to figure out which one to tell me. Right? You, that's the only head like, which is a good one, right? What could I do here? Like the time when my brother Brian in our brand new van took it for a drive. Are you ready for this? Brian was, you guys think Brian is so nice. Lies, all lies. Brian was sneaky, right? Eric and I were always the brunt of Brian's, you tell mom, you're dead. That was Brian's conversation on the side. Then he'd get in front of him. I'm like, hey, mom. You're like, ooh. But Brian, stupid thing, he chased a bunch of kids. We saw some kids in a graveyard, right? We were driving, and we saw at the entrance of this graveyard, these kids were doing things they shouldn't have been doing in a graveyard. And so Brian's like, let's scare them in mom and dad's brand-new minivan. So we're driving, chasing these kids through a graveyard, well, somehow the concrete, I don't know, Eric knows, ask him later. Anyway, he goes off the path, hits a tombstone or something, and smashes in my mom and dad's wheel, like smashes in the hubcap. Well, we get out at the time, and we're looking. We don't see anything wrong. We're like, okay, don't say anything. Don't say, shh, don't, just don't say anything. And I'm like, oh, this is not going to end well. Do you know her? Have you met her? Huh. So the next morning, like, we're all hush-hush. We come back to, we were at a friend's house. We come back to us. Mom's like, everything going? We're like, oh, it's great. We didn't chase children. <laughs> no. No. We get up the next morning. I come home from school. I walk in the door. Delilah over here. That's my mom's middle name if you're curious who Delilah is. Her name's Joan, but there's, that's not fun. So I call her Delilah. So Delilah meets me at the door and says, what happened to my van? I don't, I don't, she said, Sonia, so help me. You do not tell me the truth. I'm going to ask your brothers, and if your story doesn't match up with theirs, you are dead. She said dead. That's what I heard. And so... I literally, I tell her everything. I'm like, okay, we were going to the there was a graveyard, and there were these kids, and they were doing things, and they were doing it, and Brian chased them, and we had a tombstone. <sighs> so then I go to my room. Here comes Eric. Eric walks in the door. Mom, I talked to your sister, and Eric's like, oh. He knew. He knew. Right then. It's over. She said, and if your story doesn't match her story, you're dead. She says he's in trouble whatever. She said dead. So she's like, you're dead. So Eric tells her, well, then Brian comes home, Mr. Schmuser himself, right? Brian comes home. Brian, what happened to the van? What? What are you talking? I don't know. 
I don't know what happened. Well, I talked to Sonia and I talked to Eric and Brian like went white because then he knew he couldn't hide anymore, right? In that moment, Brian was thinking, what was I thinking? Because in that moment in that van, his flesh took over and thought, this will be funny, right? We're going to chase these kids only to ruin my mom. We had had that van for how long? A couple weeks, just a couple weeks old, and we ran over a tombstone. That's what we do. Then we had a friend come over and offer Brian some tombstone pizza. <laughs> Our friend Kenny Penn, he knew about it. Brian didn't know it. He walked in the house. He's like, hey, what's for dinner tonight, guys? He goes, Brian, you want some tombstone pizza? <sighs> Brian did not find the humor in that joke very much, but it was quite because I'm pretty sure he was still grounded at that point right? But we all do those things that are stupid. We all give in to those desires of our flesh, right? Our flesh craves certain things and it will convince us to give in to those cravings if we don't overcome it. Our flesh craves certain things. We want to do certain things. We don't want to do certain things. We don't want to give up certain things. I've been working out every morning. I Marco Polo Megan every morning and these are my words to her every day that lady tried to kill me. She's after me. She's trying to kill me today, right? It's bar blend. Who knew I could be a ballet person? It's not. If you videotape me, it would not. Mm -mm. I'm not graceful at all. She's like, let's just flow. I'm like, I look like a dying octopus. Like this is not, this is not going well. And then she's got you like this one move. Kai, I had to have, he was looking at me and I was like, so come do it. I won't make you do it now, buddy, because, well, I want to, but I won't. But you had to get in a plank position, right? So I'm in a plank position. Your feet are up. You're holding your arms. Then she's like, bring your knee up to your elbow. Oh, okay, lady. <laughs> bring your knee up to your elbow. Cross it under. And then hold your arm up and hold yourself up. Sweetness. <laughs> what you have from here to here. That's easy. <laughs> what girls got going on, not so much. <laughs> this ain't getting up off the ground. You know what I'm saying? My toes are holding nothing. <laughs> like this ain't happening. But I get up, I try it, I work out every day, I get my little mat out, I'm sweating by the end of it, I feel like I'm dying. Do you think my flesh wants to do that? No, I don't. Every day I'm like, I can do this. And then by the end of it, I'm like, what was I thinking? I can't do this, right? I don't want to do it. But in order for me to get my health back, to get me where I need to be, I have to do things that I don't want to do, regardless of what my flesh says I should do. My flesh says, lay back in bed, go get a donut and have a day, lady. Right? That's what my flesh says. But my body is saying something different because it needs health. But my flesh is saying, mm-mm, go ahead and eat that. Eat that donut. You don't need to work out. That lady's nuts. She's crazy, right? That is what that flesh does. I don't want to get up and work out every day because she literally tries to kill me every day. Chris told me, he said, you do realize you say that every day. I'm like, because... I believe it every day. 
hands down. If you don't understand, listen, this lady, she's got me like kicking and then holding. And then she's like, let's get the burn. I don't like the burn. Back down with your burn, right? But listen, in John 8, 34, this is what Jesus says. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a, sin, is a slave to sin. 2 Peter 2.19. He says they, and he was talking about false teachers, promised them freedom. They promised people freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. Our flesh is in a constant battle with our decision to become slaves of righteousness. Constant battle. Go to Galatians 5, 16 through 18. I'm going to grab my water while you go. Galatians 5, 16 through 18. It says this. So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit. And the spirit, what is contrary to the flesh, they are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now, I could get into the whole law thing, but I really want to focus on the fact that God is even telling us in his word, this is a constant battle. You are not alone in that battle. You are not crazy. You are not just an evil person. I mean, you probably are an evil person by nature if we really look at it, but that is just, you have to understand you are not alone in this process. Now, if I look, I just had this idea and I'm, I'm going to go with it. So if I look at Ray and Dorothy, Ray's like, where's this going? Mm -hmm. Dorothy might be walking like walking in the spirit, but Ray, no, I'm kidding, Ray. I wouldn't do that to you. I'm kidding, Ray. I love Ray and Dorothy. I've missed them so much. I even told Ray, usually I tell Ray, I see Dorothy and I say, Dorothy! And then I go, oh, hey, Ray. Right? I tease them all the time, but no, I love them. I'm so glad they're back today. But there's that constant battle between the spirit and the flesh. The Pharaoh at the beginning of the book of Exodus is like our flesh. He rises up to try to gain control. And have you ever wanted to do something simply because you were told you couldn't do it? Like if you see those things that says, don't push the button, don't you just want to push the button? Kai was the epitome of that as a child. If you said no to Kai, it was literally like pouring gas on a fire. Megan witnessed it so many times with that little turkey when he was even six, was he about six months old? Six months old, we were playing a game and he was sitting there on his little belly, right? And you think, oh, six months old, he didn't know. Oh, that little turkey knew. He literally would reach out to grab the pieces and I'd swat his hand saying no. And he'd pull his hand back and he'd look at me. He'd re While he's looking at me, reach his hand out. I'd smack his hand. No. He did it probably 10 times. Like, lady, I'm winning. 
And I had to look at him and go, you might be six months old, but Tiger, I got you. Like, you haven't met anybody like your mama, right? You ain't winning. I don't care if we're just playing a game. You're not winning, right? And you're certainly not winning here. But Kai was the opinion of that. If you told Kai no, he would look at you and you could see the calculations going on in his brain. Like, she runs about this fast. This thing that I want to do is about this distance. I could probably make it there before she got here. We're going to go ahead and try it, right? That's just literally Kai. Kai, Ed and Ellie know this. Two years old, two years old, would stand at the bagel and donut table, even though I told him he could only have one. He would stand at the donut and bagel, bagel table with a sad look. Did he not, Ellie? Sad look on his face. And somebody would come up and go, oh, buddy, did you want a bagel? You want a donut? Here you go. He'd go hide, eat it, go back to the table. Oh, did you want a donut? Give him a donut. He'd go hide. Go. We get to lunch, and he's like, I fool. What do you mean you're full? You only had a half a donut. You can't be full. No, nah, I fool. What? And then we realized. So we had to put a sign at the, at the bagel table. Do not feed the pastor's kids. Like, stop it. Chris had to make an announcement. Stop feeding Kai. He is not hungry. He is playing you, right? That was Kai. That was literally Kai. Not so much now, little guy. You're so sweet. Mommy loves you. But some days. But that was Kai. The second we're told no, it's like our flesh just rises up even more and wants to do it even more because I was told no. Right? Because I'm not stubborn at all. I've never felt that. If you know me, you know that is a lie from the pit of hell. Pharaoh felt like the Israelites had more power, and he did not like the feeling of being the weaker part. So he had to overtake it. Our spirit is like the Israelites in relationship with God. They were being fruitful and multiplying. But I want you to pay attention to what Pharaoh said in this. And this is so good. Pharaoh's words were, look. The Israelites are more numerous and powerful than we are. He knew from the get-go that the Israelites could overtake him at any moment because they were bigger and more powerful. But it's obvious that the Israelites did not realize their power and did not realize their greatness because they succumbed to somebody saying, we're the more powerful one, right? There's a song out there, and I tell you, it's called By Belonging Company. I want to sing it so bad, but Chris is like, I'm not sure. I kind of feel like you have to, like, you know, be in a different state of mind when you listen to that song. Because it literally says, my God is great, stronger, bigger. The enemy only has smoke and mirrors. I love that. I listen to it all the time. But that's literally what Pharaoh used. He used smoke and mirrors in this whole thing in order to trick the Israelites into thinking they were the more powerful one. Doesn't our flesh do that? Well, I, have you ever said this? I can't help it. I, I just can't help it. Yes. Yes. With God, you can. You can't. But God can, right? That's just who I am. No. I used to use that excuse all the time with my mommy. I would get mad. Or, bah! Bah! 
And I was, mom would say, Sonia Renee, you do not act like that. I'm like, I'm a redhead. That's how I'm supposed to act. And then she would point to Skeezel and be like, really? You ruined my whole thing, Dad. Like, you had red hair. You were supposed to be crazy. But he wasn't. But I use that as an excuse. It's just who I am, right? We don't get to use that excuse, right? The Israelites obviously did not realize that they were stronger, and they succumbed to this plan. They were the more powerful group, but operated in this moment as the weaker entity and fell into slavery because of it. Isn't this just like our struggles with sins? We are pros. I have allowed my sinful nature to take over because I don't allow the true power in me to take over. We succumb to the power of our flesh and fall back into the slavery of sin because we don't operate in the power to say no. I choose to be a slave to righteousness. I love what Priscilla Shearer said in that video. She said, no is a complete sentence. I don't need to give the enemy my reasons. No is a complete sentence. Hey, you should, no. Not no, because I just, you know, when I read the Bible, the Bible says, no, no. Well, you should, no. Well, don't you want, no. Right? No is a complete sentence. Even Paul felt this. Go to Romans chapter 7, verse 15 through 20. Romans chapter 7, verse 15 through 20. And I'm going to read this from the Message Bible. So it's going to be up there, but I'm going to read it from the message because I loved what it said. This is that part where Paul's like, listen, I do the things that I don't want to do, and I don't do the things that I need to do. Listen to what this says in the message in Romans 7, 15 through 20. He says, yes, I'm full of myself. After all, I've spent a long time in sin's prison. What I don't understand about myself is I decide one way, but then I act another. Doing things I absolutely despise. So if I can be trusted to figure out what is best for myself and then do it, it becomes obvious that God's command is necessary. He's saying, listen, I have to have God's command in my life because if I'm left to myself, it ain't happening. He says, but I need something more. For if I know the law, but still can't keep it, and the power of sin within me keeps sabotaging my best intentions, I obviously need help. I realize that I don't have what it takes. I can will it, but I can't do it. I decide to do, God, to do good, but I don't really do it. I decide not to do bad, but then I do it anyway. My decisions, such as they are, don't result in actions. Something has gone wrong deep within me and gets the better of me every time. Those are those things that we fight against. You are not alone in your battle. You are not alone in the battle between the spirit and the flesh. I battle it all the time. I have found myself in moments. I've told my children this. I'll tell you right now, kids, you know the Holy Spirit is real when I hold my tongue. Because the inside of me wants to cut you like a knife. Not my kids, but if I'm dealing with a situation, I, my words, I want to just vomit all over you and make you put your tail between your legs and walk away. Ooh. 
right? That's in me. But that is not what God says I should do in those moments. He says a kind word turns away the wrath. He says that I'm supposed to serve people. He says that I'm supposed to love my enemies. Cutting somebody with my words, that is not loving my enemies. That is not following God's command. Is it hard? You betcha. There's times I'll call Megan. I'm like, listen, I got to get this out or it's going to come out on somebody that doesn't need to come out. And by the end of it, she's like, I'm slightly scared. Like you just scared me. And I, it's not even, I'm, you're not even talking about me, right? But I'm like, this is what I do. And then at the end, I always say, but that's not what God wants me to do. That's not how God, and I know it's wrong. So my flesh wants to rise up. My flesh wants to do, right? Our flesh wants to just do the easy thing and tell that lie and not take responsibility for our actions. My boys know it is better to just come tell me that you got a bad grade on your report card than for me to find it. They hate today's society that I get updates on their grades all day long. <coughs> Kai knows. I'll t we're, we, I mean, we're all virtual right now, which is for the birds, but we're all virtual right now. And he'll be in class, and I get a text. I instantly text him, why do you have a missing grade in Spanish, friend? What's up, buddy? Why did your grade go from an A to a B? Mom, it's a B plus. Who cares? Why did it go from an A to a B plus? Mom, B's a good grade. They tell me, Mom, it's weighted. I don't care. Well, if it's a B, it really should be an A because it's a weighted grade, and I really have an A. Dude, it says B. Make it an A or I knock you out. Your choice. <laughs> Love you. Right? Listen, it is always, it's hard to fess up to those moments. It is hard. I have had situations with my kids where they've had to fess up to us about something that was not easy to fess up to. But as a parent, I have to, one, give correct, oh, sorry, buddy, give correction where correction is needed, right? But two, I also have to walk in love as I just love the little boys. If you ever see them flinch when I walk past, that's because of their dad. Right? But it's easier to just let it go. It's easier to operate in that flesh because that's what feels good in the moment. But we have to take control of what the flesh is telling us to do, especially when it does not line up. I love, somebody said the other week, somebody was told, oh, you should just follow your heart. And they were reminded of the scripture that says, listen, the Bible tells me that the heart is deceitful. I can't follow my heart because most of the time it's going to lead me down a direction that I probably shouldn't be anyway, right? My heart may tell me, you know, to, I don't know, I can't think of anything, but regardless, I can't follow my heart. My heart tells me to not wake up in the morning because you want to sleep an extra hour. That's what my heart tells me. I want my heart to feel good. My heart does not tell me to let things go. 
My heart tells me to hold revenge and to make sure they know how angry you are. You cannot follow your heart. You have to follow the spirit. So how do we fight this battle that feels constant? Here we go. I'm going to give you four things. Megan, I'm giving you a list. How excited are you? Four things. Go to Psalms 119. Go to Psalm, Psalm. I always say Psalms, but there's no S in Psalms, just so you know. Kai couldn't find it on the thing. He's like, Mom, I can't find the scripture. It doesn't exist. Oh, sorry. There's no S in Psalm. One nineteen, starting at verse 1. We're going to read through this, and then we're going to break it down in some other parts. It says, how happy are those whose way is blameless, who walk according to the Lord's instruction. Happy are those who keep his decrees and seek him with all of their heart. They do nothing wrong. They walk in his ways. You have commanded that your precepts be diligently kept. If only my ways were committed to keeping your statutes, then I would not be ashamed when I think about all of your commands. I will praise you with an upright heart. When I learn your righteous judgments, I keep your statutes. I will keep your statutes. Never abandon me. How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping your word. I have sought you with all my heart. Don't let me wander from your commands. I have treasured your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. Lord, may you be blessed. Teach me your statutes. With my lips, I proclaim all the judgments from your mouth. I rejoice in the way revealed by your decrees as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts, think about your ways, and delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. So the first thing we're going to pull out of that is, number one, you need to stay in his word. He tells us, listen, I'm treasuring your heart, your word in my heart. Why? So that I don't sin against you. You can't treasure something in your heart if you don't know it. If you don't read it, if you don't learn it, if you don't study it, how can you put it in your heart so that you don't sin if you have no idea what it says? Right? I could have a list of rules at my house, and if I never tell my boys what that rule, set of rules is or they never read my rules... All they're going to do is make mistakes. I'm going to be like, that's not the rule. I don't know what the rule, right? That would just be that constant battle. Learn the rule. Learn the command. Learn his decrees. And the only way to do that is to stay in his word. Hide his word in your heart so that you don't sin against him. That's step number one. Number two, this is a big one. And this is really hard for some people, and I get it. Trust his word. You could read God's word all day long. But if you don't trust what he says, if you don't believe that his word is true, guess what? It's not going to work for you. Why would it? If I'm in a relationship with my husband, imagine if I, and some of you may have already been this, where if you've been in a relationship, spouse-wise or whatever, and you can't trust that person, it's a miserable place to be. It is a miserable place to be if you don't trust someone. Have you ever been at a job where you don't trust your boss? That's a tough place to be. 
Because you feel like no matter what you're going to do, something's going to go wrong, right? And you walk on eggshells the entire time, and you keep your distance because you just don't want to mess anything up, right? When you're in any kind of relationship, trust. In order for that relationship to be good, you have to trust. I trust my husband. I trust when he says, I'm never going to do this or I'm going to do this, that I know he will do it. It may take him a few weeks to get it done. I may have to text Ryan here or there and be like, hey, bud, mm -hmm. can you? And then he'll take care of it for me, right? But the thing is, is that I trust him. I don't trust that he's never going to make a mistake because he's going to make mistakes, right? The one thing I can trust, I trust that my husband will pick up my robe every time. Every time. I can't promise you he does it with a glad heart, but I do promise, I trust that if I leave my robe on the floor, he will come and he will pick it up and hang it. Guys, I don't even realize I leave it on the floor sometimes. I don't even notice, right? You can believe that if you want, but whatever. But you have to trust. You have to trust his word, right? Even the parts, ooh, this is the hard one. Even the parts that we don't like or wish we could change. I love this thing that I saw the other day. Francis Chan is one of our favorite speakers. And I love what he said. He said, if I read something in the Bible that I disagree with, I have to assume that I'm wrong. Say it again. If you see something in the Bible that you disagree with, you have to assume that you are wrong. You are not infinite. You are not omnipotent. Whatever. Omnipotent. I can't even. You are not omniscient. I can't say it. Anyway, you are not any of You are not God. It's kind of like Job in the end. When Job began to question God, he looked right back at Job and said, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Basically looked at Job and said, you better put your big boy pants on because here it comes. He even told Job, brace yourself. Where were you when I put the stars into place? Oh, you got that? You, you can put the stars into place? You, you're good? Awesome. You can disagree with God. Where were you when I told the oceans, stop? You can only come this far. Where were you when he created man? Oh, you can do that? You got that? You can take a little bit of dirt from the earth and create man and breathe life into him? Oh, great. You have the right to disagree with him then. Oh, wait. You don't know how to do that? You mean you are not all-knowing? You mean you are not all there? You don't have the strength to uphold an entire universe, an entire solar system? You don't have that? Then you don't have the right to disagree. Oh! Well, the Bible, Jesus loves me. You betcha. You betcha. Jesus loves you. But it doesn't give you the right. I love my kids. My kids love me. I love crew. If there is one thing my kids cannot say, it's that I'm not sure if my mom loves me. Because I'm a stalker. Little bunny. 
He has things. I'm like, can mommy come? Sure. I'll be there. Right? They can never say, but guess what? He doesn't get the right to disagree with me in my household. How would that go, buddy? Not well. Right? You don't get to disagree. You don't get to pick and choose what he says and what he, what he wants you to do. You don't get to tell him, oh, I don't, I don't agree with what you're saying to me right there. I don't agree that that's a sin. I don't agree that I shouldn't do that. I don't agree that I should love my enemies. I don't agree that I have to forgive. Good luck with that, Captain. You don't get to call the shots. Unless, of course, you were there and you were a part of hanging those stars into place. You don't get to disagree unless you were there when he formed the foundations of the earth. Well, I don't even know if God made the earth. Good luck with that. Don't get me preaching. I take after my daddy. Now, here's the next one. This leads right into that. The third thing, you need to fear the Lord. But Jesus loves me. You need to fear the Lord. Never forget who he is. Proverbs 3, 7, don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Growing up, I feared this lady. Dad, not so much. I didn't really fear Cecil, right? If dad was like, I'll take care of it. Yes. I'm off the hook, baby, right? Dad was like, oh, baby, I know you tried. I did, daddy, I did. (laughs) My mom's like, get in here. Right? I feared my mom. That kept me out of a lot of stupidity. You think I'm kidding? My mom, I I began to wonder if she was like the sister that God never talked about. You know, Jesus was the son. She was like the sister somewhere in there because she knew it all, right? She figured it out. I couldn't do anything because I knew the second I did it, somehow Delilah was going to find out. So if I did give in to my flesh and I do it anyway, I literally did not enjoy it. It was not until I got out of her household and began to lose the fear of my mother where I got myself into some stupid things because she couldn't ground me anymore. She couldn't knock me out, right? She couldn't say, you're dead or you're in trouble, whatever. She couldn't say those things. Fear the Lord. I feared her. I knew she loved me, but I also understood the consequences of my actions under her rule. I could change dads. But moms, dad's like, well, the rule is, but daddy, that rule is stupid. Okay, baby. Right? To this day. Chris has a, his work cut out for him. I'm, I'm 47. I'm like, dad. Right? Matthew 10, 28. Here is this. But God, does God really want me to fear him? Let me tell you what Matthew 28 says. Don't fear for those who kill the body but are not able to kill the soul. Rather, fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Ouch. That sounds like serious stuff, right? Proverbs 1, 7 says, Fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. 
Hebrews 10, 26 through 31. I know I'm flying through these, buddy. I'm sorry. It says, we were given a warning for operating in deliberate sin. He said, it is terrifying to fall into the hands of the living God. What? I have to fear him? I would. Figure if he can make the sun. Mm. Romans 11, 17 through 21. Basically, this entire scripture just basically says, listen, don't be arrogant regarding your position in Christ. Don't be, oh, I'm a Christian. Jesus loves me. Jesus forgives right? He tells us in Romans. He says, if some of the branches have been broken off and you, though a wild olive shoot, have been grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing sap from the olive root, go ahead, buddy, do not consider yourself to be superior to those other branches. If you do, consider this. You do not support the root, but the root supports you. You will say then, branches were broken off so that I could be grafted in. Granted, but they were broken off because of unbelief, and you stand by faith. Do not be arrogant, but tremble. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. That hurts, right? <laughs> now the final thing, your job, stay in his word, right? You have to stay in his word. I'm going to go back to my little notes here. I got, lost them. You need to stay in his word. Number two, you need to trust his word, fear the Lord. And then finally, you need to keep his commandments. That is your job. Go back to Psalms 119 and verse 9. It says, how can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping your word. By keeping your word. When we read his word, we trust his word, we fear him, it leads us to keeping his commandments. Read so that we know what the commandments are. Trust. We have to know that everything he says is true. Everything, even what we don't agree with. Three, fear him. We know and understand that he is to be feared so that we walk in obedience to his commandments. Never become flippant with the creator of the universe. 1 John 2, 4 through 5, it says, The one who says, I have come to know him, yet doesn't keep his commands, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly in him, the love of God is made complete. And this is how we know we are in him. And in Matthew, I love this, the Pharisees tried to, to get Jesus to answer which commandment was the greatest. And Jesus answered by saying, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. That's the greatest commandments. Why would he say that? Because when I'm in relationship with God and I love him with all of my heart, all of my soul, all of my mind, guess what? Out of pure love for him, I am going to want to keep his commandments. Because I love him right? I love my spouse. I love Pastor Chris. I love that man. I would never deliberately do something to offend or to hurt him because I love him. That alone should be the reason why we keep his command because we put our love for him above everything else. Amen? If you love God above everything else, you will never purposely offend him by disobeying his commandments. Those moments where he says, where the flesh rises up and says, do this. 
and you say no. Why? Because I have a covenant with my father. And I don't want to ruin that. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. <laughs> you see our struggle. And what's amazing to me is that even in my struggle, even when I allow the flesh to take over, you offer forgiveness and mercy. Even in my stupidity, you're with me. Father, I think about those days where I questioned you. I wondered if you were truly real. Even in those moments, it's crazy for me to think that you still chased after me. You never let me go. You were standing there the moment I said, I give in. You allowed me to collapse in your arms and find the restoration that I needed. Father, I pray for every person in this place today. If there are people within this building that are questioning who you are, I pray that you give them a new revelation of who you are. Let them see you. I pray that eyes be opened. Let us not begin to walk with such flippancy that we forget the importance of following and adhering to your command because your command leads us to life. No matter how hard it is to follow, it is your command that leads us to life. Every other leads us to death. Thank you for teaching us in your word how we can walk about this. Father, let us be the Israelites that realize how powerful we are. So that when the flesh tries to rise up against us and take control, our no is strong and is powerful and it makes the enemy flee. We love you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. And Holy Spirit, thank you for being here in this place and speaking to our hearts. In Jesus' name, and everyone said... Amen, amen. What a beautiful day, Freedom Church. Thanks for joining us. If you would like prayer, you can text Freedom Prayer to 94000 and send us your prayer request. And don't forget to find us on social media at Freedom Church STL. You can also find more info on our website at freedomchurchstl.com.